is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. We're going to spend some time on the Manafort trial that's taking place. It's quite fascinating, actually, as well as other things, of course. But, you know, I got the thinking. As I read and read and read and I look on various blog sites and websites and so forth, I got the thinking. People talk about, and many, many people are talking about and writing about, the coming civil war. Victor Davis Hanson has written about it. Others, I've talked about it. I talked about it during the Tea Party, uh, the height of the Tea Party movement. Other people poo-poo this kind of talk. Let me tell you what's going on. Prior to the Reagan era, the effort to push back on status progressivism was almost non-existent. There were a few people, a few intellectuals, a few uh, a few books, a few magazines that did it. Bo Buckley leading the way. The nomination of uh, Barry Goldwater, and so forth. Uh, there was some excellent books. But it wasn't really until Reagan that the pushback began. And then after the Reagan presidency, where he built a foundation based on the principles of Americanism, that once again the establishment, in this case the uh, subsequent Bush administration, uh, and then of course uh, the Bush 43 administration, resorted or reverted back to the old Republican progressivism of Theodore Roosevelt in many respects. They abandoned Reagan conservatism. The spending that occurred, at least at that time, under the Bush administration was enormous. I don't believe he ever vetoed a spending bill. If he did, it was maybe one. The government massively increased followed by Barack Obama. The government not only massively increased, but Barack Obama was into fundamentally transforming America into this Ameritopia based on status progressivism. The Tea Party rose up at the end of the Bush administration, George W. Bush, and the beginning of the Obama administration. It didn't rise up just because of the election of Obama. It rose spontaneously because of decade after decade of status progressivism. And many citizens across the country, many of you, then and now, and I, realize that we've reached a point that we must push back. We must push back because there are elements and forces within our society that want to take us even further. 
away from our constitutional system, away from our founding principles, and away from private property and capitalism. If you think this is just something to debate and discuss, and that's very, very important, ideas are crucial. But if you think that's it, that's not correct. You need activists. You need organizations. You need strategies. You need tactics. You need resources. You need people on the ground. You need a grassroots. We always talk about ideas here. I write about ideas in all my books. And those ideas need to be husbanded into action. And some people, I think, liberal, conservative, whatever you want to call them, they, 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 they sit at their desk and they intellectualize this, which is fine. We do that too. But they don't really get it. It's really not about persuading status progressive intellectuals that they're wrong. It's really not about persuading them to join us. It's really not about persuading Chuck Schumer that he's wrong. Because Chuck Schumer is not operating from, uh, from a rational position. He's, he's operating from a position where he seeks power and he's power hungry. And many other people the same thing. In different walks of life. So what we're trying to do is both intellectually and from a grassroots perspective, organize people who still believe in our founding principles. It's fascinating that the left, and they do this all the time, has stolen our nomenclature, the resistance. What are they resisting exactly? They've created this federal leviathan. They've created the welfare state. They've created the notion of redistribution of wealth within a free society. What is it that they're resisting? They are resisting your pushback. You see, the way I view it, this status progressivism is a counter-revolution to the American Revolution. How do I know that? Because the earliest intellectuals in that movement told us so. They rejected the Declaration, and they abhor the Constitution. They've written about it. I've written about them in my latest book, Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism. We must not be Pollyannas in the face of what's taking place in this country. This country is too important. Our security as individuals is too important. The civil society is too important. I don't particularly care what some of the people on quote-unquote the other side have to say. And we have to have civil debate. We're all about civil debate. We're also about civil activism. The Tea Party was civil activism. The rise and election of Ronald Reagan was civil activism. There's no Antifa equivalent in the conservative movement or in the Republican Party. Republicans and conservatives aren't going around on college campuses insisting that only certain people with certain viewpoints should speak 
or that there should be a monopoly on commencement speakers. Republicans and conservatives aren't doing that. Republicans and conservatives don't control the vast majority of so-called free speech that takes place in the media today. There's a couple of outlets. But the overwhelming, the vast majority of these outlets in no way reflect Republican or conservative viewpoints. And so there's this pushback. Now, we can go quietly into the land of Ameritopia. We can go quietly into the land where the Bill of Rights are eviscerated, quietly into the land of centralized autocracy, or we can fight it. I'm not talking about guns and knives. I'm talking about fight it, organize against it. This is why I've written the books that I've written. The first book I ever wrote was called Men in Black. It was about the the tyranny of judicial activists and activist courts. What else can you say? What, how else do you define it? It was the biggest selling book on the Supreme Court 20, 30, 40 years. The next book I wrote, of course, was Rescuing Sprite. Probably my favorite book. The third book I wrote was Liberty and Tyranny. Liberty and Tyranny, a book that had always been in the back of my mind, but was particularly poignant given events that were taking place. And I wrote that book over a 16-month period. Uh, After I would work at Landmark Legal Foundation as president on the weekends, I would work on the book. Late at night, I would work till 2 or 3 in the morning on the book, did all the research, all the writing, which I always do, do all the writing. And I finished that book and I said, well, I don't know if anybody's going to be interested, anybody's going to buy it, but I think it makes an important case for conservatism and anti-conservatism. For the former against the latter. The book exploded into the culture. It sold one and a half million copies in all forms. It came out as the Tea Party with just given birth. It was a book that Tea Party activists read. It was a book that Tea Party activists brought to their rallies. Jeffrey Lord wrote at the American Spectator that it was one of the most important books, period. And it had an enormous effect. I know what it means to make the case for ideas, but I also know what it means to organize, to be activists. That is, do more than talk. After I wrote Liberty and Tyranny, I'm doing this for a reason. After I wrote Liberty and Tyranny, I wrote a book called Ameritopia. going into some of the great philosophers from whom our founders and framers borrowed their ideas and some of the not-so-great philosophers who serve as the foundational thinkers for the status progressives. Then I said, okay, but we need more than that. What can we do? We keep voting Republicans. We keep doing what good citizens do as activists. There was this idea in Article 5 of our Constitution that there's two ways to amend the Constitution. 
I bet you didn't know there's really three ways to amend the Constitution. One of the ways is completely illegitimate, and that is the Supreme Court, which constantly rewrites the Constitution. That is tyrannical. goes back to my first book. But the framers provided two legitimate ways for amending the Constitution. It can be initiated by Congress or it can be initiated by the state legislatures. All the amendments to the Constitution have been initiated by Congress. None of them, up till now, have been initiated by the states. Now we have people, so-called conservatives, who object to that. They believe the only way that we should be able to amend the Constitution is through the Congress. Well, we're not going to amend it to have term limits, to limit borrowing, to limit taxes, to limit spending, to limit regulations. That is, to limit the power that Congress has seized for itself and then provided to these departments and agencies that it has created. The idea that we're going to be able to limit them by waiting for Congress to give us a chance to fix the situation is, of course, nonsensical, irrational. Absolutely irrational. And so, uh, I wrote the Liberty Amendments. I used to be opposed to the notion of a Convention of States, and I actually studied it. It is quintessential federalism. And it's in the Constitution. And it was put there for a reason. As a matter of fact, James Madison, who could see the coming bloody civil war as states, slave states and free states, were starting to, uh, to battle with each other, not militarily, but in the press and so forth, he pointed to Article 5 Convention of States as a way to address this in order to avoid a civil war. Hamilton refers to it in the Federalist Papers, even though initially he was not all that fond of it. Initially I wasn't fond of it. Now I'm very fond of it. So we wrote the Liberty Amendments, and that helped spur another movement with uh, what's headed by Mark Meckler, and others at the Convention of States organization. And so you and I have been involved in a number of movements here, the Tea Party movement and the Convention of State movement. Then I thought to myself, okay, we've dealt with the philosophical. We've dealt with the Constitution. How about we get to some real facts about what's happening to our government and the implication for our children, grandchildren, and generations yet born, because it is dire. Absolutely dire. The debt, unfunded liabilities, they're just, they're, they're out of control and they will crush the society. So particularly for younger people and parents and grandparents who care, I wrote Plunder and Deceit. Every one of these are New York Times number one bestsellers. Then finally, I'm not doing Mark, this is your life. Stick with me. I may have to take a break, but I'm, I'm going to explain it in a minute. Then the last book I wrote was Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism. Well, where did we get these principles from in the Declaration of Independence? What do they mean? Why are they so important? And it, it's time to better define who it is that we're battling. The counter-revolutionaries. Who are they? Where do they get their ideas from? Who are their intellectuals? To lay it out even more boldly than in a Meritopia. 
Now, why is all this important? I'll explain when I return. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Battle of ideas is absolutely critical. I mean, I should know. We should know, right? Because we talk about ideas all the time. And I write about it. Every book I've written is about ideas. But it doesn't end there. That's not enough. Tyranny does exist. It exists in the world. It exists in the hearts of certain individuals. And free societies do not survive in perpetuity. The founders of this country understood that. The framers of the Constitution understood that. And we need to understand that. And so it's important to be passionate. Wise, but passionate. It's important to have a base of people in this country who share our values, our principles, and our belief systems. It's not enough to talk. You have to act responsibly. But you have to act. I'll be right back. More logic than allowed by law. The Mark Levin Show. Call now at 877-381-3811. CNN, Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard forces are expected to begin a major exercise in the Persian Gulf. As soon as within the next 48 hours, that could be aimed at demonstrating their ability to shut down the Strait of Hormuz, according to two U.S. officials directly familiar with the latest U.S. assessment of their troop movements. We are aware of the increase in Iranian naval operations within the Arabian Gulf, Strait of Hormuz, and Gulf of Oman. We are monitoring it closely and will continue to work with our partners to ensure freedom of navigation and free flow of commerce in international waterways, Captain William Urban, Chief Spokesman for the U.S. Command, Central Command. Now, the strait is a strategically critical passageway linking the Persian Gulf to the Arabian Sea that is crucial to international shipping and particularly for global energy supplies. While the U.S. sees no immediate signs of hostile intent from Iran, the Iranian show of force has U.S. military intelligence deeply concerned for three fundamental reasons according to officials. One, the exercise comes as rhetoric from the Iranians towards the U.S. has accelerated in recent days. Two, it appears they're ramping up for a larger exercise this year than similar efforts in the past. Three, the timing is unusual. These types of Iranian exercises typically happen much later in the year. There is major concern because of these factors, one official said. As of now, the U.S. assesses the Iranians have assembled a fleet of more than 100 boats, many of them small, fast-moving vessels. It's expected Iranian air and ground assets, including coastal defensive missile batteries, could be involved. Hundreds of Iranian troops are expected to participate, and some regular Iranian forces could be involved as well. The Iranian exercise comes as the U.S. has only one major warship, the USS the Sullivans, <coughs> inside the Persian Gulf. Several officials say other U.S. warships are nearby. There are numerous combat aircraft in the region. 
The U.S. military has been trying to encourage other nations in the region, especially Saudi Arabia, to take a strong line on keeping the Gulf open in the face of rising Iranian rhetoric. They've also expressed concern about keeping open the waterways of Yemen, where Iranian-backed rebels have attacked oil tankers. <clears throat> Secretary of Defense James Mattis, responding to rising Iranian rhetoric, said Iran has threatened to close the Strait of Hormoz. They've done that previously in years past. They saw the international community put dozens of nations of international community, put their naval forces in for exercises to clear the straits. Clearly, this would be an attack on international shipping, and it would have obviously an international response to reopen the shipping lanes with whatever that took. There's more. If I can pull it up, let's see here. The Israelis, Benjamin Netanyahu, I can't pull the article up, that's okay. He has announced that they will keep the Red Sea open, no matter what, under all conditions, whatever it takes, the Israelis and the international community. And so there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The Islamo-Nazi regime in Iran, the economy dying, the people, in many respects, rising up, the mullahs, the fundamentalist Islamic mullahs, who've divided that country up economically, like warlords, they seek to hold on to their power. And so it may come to this. Now let's see about the isolationists in our own country. Some of them on cable TV. Wait, what, what is it? What's in our business there? What's our business? It's called oil geniuses. It's more than that. One country gets away with this. Other countries do the same thing. Wait, why are people so stupid? They, they just are. The isolationists, some of whom are on cable. The isolationists, some of whom do not support increasing defense spending in a significant way, like the Koch brothers. The, uh, what I call the code pink Republicans out there, who think if you, uh, if you want a robust United States military, not for uh, aggressive interventionism, but to do what the United States military needs to do or should do, that somehow you must be a neocon or a globalist. Well, let me tell you something. President of the United States is neither. And I'm sure he... His brilliant National Security Advisor Bolton, his brilliant Secretary of State Pompeo, and Mattis, not so brilliant, but what the hell. I'm sure all three of them are well aware of what's going on. I'm sure the brilliant ambassador to Israel from the United States, Friedman, I'm sure the brilliant ambassador to the United States from Israel, Dermer, I'm sure they're all quite familiar And then the Churchill of our times, as I call him, Netanyahu, there's no question about it. So the Iranians are on the move. What this portends, we cannot be 100% certain. But 100 ships is 100 ships. 100 military naval ships, that's not a joke. We, the United States, we only have about 300. Less than 300, actually. And Trump's trying to rebuild our Navy, as, as he is the rest of the branches of the military. All right, you can kill the music. Thank you. So that's the breaking news, and it's a big deal. That's why I have no stomach for the code pink Republicans. You know, it's an amazing thing. You can learn so much from history. You really can. Even recent history. What happens when the United States has its guard down? What happens when the United States slashes its military spending and its military resources? We tend to have wars. 
And we tend to lose a lot more lives than we would otherwise lose if we were ready. Now, what I've just reported to you has been reported by CNN and in some international news outlets, but it hasn't led news anywhere. Not on network news, not on cable news. Instead, we go this back and forth. Trump tweeted this. Adam Schiff says that. Ernie Grabatsky says this. And, uh, and uh, it, it's just our free press is so pathetic. They, they have no sense of priorities, and they're just endlessly pushing their ideological agenda. It's really quite amazing. We can learn from history not to have a massive debt. We can learn from history to ensure we have a strong military. We can learn from history to butt out of, of most uh, economic decisions. We can learn from history that you must have a nation state and secure borders or your country will be overrun. Its culture will be destroyed. It'll be destroyed from within. It's the history of Rome. We can learn from history, but we don't. Because everybody thinks the world begins today. These status progressives reject history. We have some newbies in the conservative movement. They reject the past. It's really quite appalling. Anyway, I thought you'd want to know. Now, part of the problem with the media, of course, is they talk about a free press. Tell me, does a free press, that is, a press that's really interesting, interested in, in trying to report the news, does it hire overwhelmingly people from a prior administration? There's a great piece, um, I believe it's at the Daily Caller. And by the way, Chuck Todd over Meet the Depressed uh, and NBC has decided that the Daily Caller is not a real news outlet. Chuck Todd of the staff of Tom Harkin, former left-wing kook Democrat senator from Iowa, and his wife is an active Democrat. Chuck Todd now gets to decide what is or is not a news organization. Maybe Chuck Todd can provide us with a definitive definition. Maybe he can do that. But who the hell died and named him the king of the media? You're not, you little creep. Nobody watches your damn show anyway. Meet the press. What a joke. That's why I call it Meet the Depressed. Why, Chuck Todd's the press? Look at the ego these fools have. CNN personalities have repeatedly attacked Fox News. And let, let me just stop there. <clears throat> Fox News by far has the highest cable ratings. MSNBC isn't even close. CNN is so far behind, it's not even funny. So CNN has as one of its primary goals to keep attacking Fox, Fox hosts, particularly Hannity, in order to try and tear them down to build themselves up. That's what CNN's objective is. MSNBC is just, uh, it's like watching an insane asylum. Just one kook after another roams through there, one after the other after another. And, and there's an audience for that. There are kooks out there, and they have the kook audience. CNN personalities have repeatedly attacked Fox News for allegedly being a mouthpiece for President Trump, pointing to a number of Fox anchors and pundits who have joined the administration over the past half year. CNN has its own. Now, that's different, you see. Somebody leaving the media to join an administration, fine. But people leaving an administration to join the media, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't think that's so fine. CNN has its own extensive history of being a revolving door for the Obama administration and even masquerading 
former Obama officials as impartial journalists. CNN's current chief national security correspondent, Jim Shuto, we've talked about this fool before, served in the Obama administration as the senior advisor to the U.S. ambassador to China. And CNN employs, uh, let's see, despite having an obvious conflict of interest in foreign policy reporting, particularly on issues relating to China, Shuto is often presented on the network as an objective reporter. He's reported on the Iran deal, the United States deal to save China's ZTE, other international stories without CNN ever indicating Shuto's bias. And Shuto's bias, uh, as part of the Obama administration, has made its way into his reporting before. In 2017, Shuto claimed that the Obama administration cared more about, quote, civilian casualties, unquote, than the Trump administration. In February 2018, he falsely claimed that the Steele dossier was first funded by Republicans and refused to issue a retraction or or correction after the Daily Caller pointed out his mistake. This May, he made sure to point out that the closest U.S. allies opposed Trump leaving the Iran deal. John Kirby, who served as the State Department spokesperson and Pentagon press secretary during the Obama administration, appears on CNN as a military and diplomatic analyst. Kirby's always identified by his former titles while appearing on the network, but CNN often fails to identify his connection to Obama. Kirby was never identified as an Obama official during a July 11 appearance as he slammed Donald Trump for not denouncing Russia strongly. While Kirby's role is to provide political commentary, not objective reporting, it is odd that he's uh, afforded free reign to attack the president without viewers ever being informed about his political associations. CNN justice reporter Laura Jarrett boasts a familial connection to the Obama administration. Her mother is Valerie Jarrett, former senior advisor to Obama. Jarrett's biography indicates she had no reporting experience prior to joining CNN, yet the network tasked her with covering Trump's Department of Justice. According to the Media Research Center, CNN has conducted at least seven interviews with Valerie Jarrett, wherein the host never disclosed that her daughter works for the network. CNN's cozy relationship with the Obama White House has worked in the opposite direction as well. In 2009, Sasha Johnson, a senior political producer of the network, um, left to join the administration as press secretary for the Department of Transportation. During her time at CNN, Johnson covered the 2008 Obama campaign extensively. After ten and a half years at CNN, which included three presidential campaigns, I'm ready for a new challenge and ready to fulfill another career goal. The opportunity to work in public policy, Johnson said in an email to colleagues at the time of her departure. Also, former CNN war correspondent Anish Rahman quit his job and became an intern for the Obama campaign in 2008, eventually serving as Obama's domestic policy speechwriter. To bear witness up close to that kind of historic campaign and to be part of it, even in a small way, was something singular, Rahman said in an interview with Assam News. In addition to serving as objective reporters and analysts, other Obama officials joined CNN to provide partisan political commentary. Former senior advisor for strategy and communications, Dan Pfeiffer. Former Press Secretary Jay Carney, former National Security Advisor Samantha Vinograd, former Deputy National Security Advisor Tony Blinken have all served as CNN contributors or analysts at one time or another. CNN also recently hired former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper after he was suspected of leaking classified information to its journalists. According to a House intelligence report released in April, Clapper acknowledged speaking with CNN reporter Jake Tapper. 
And, of course, who's Jake Tapper? Jake Tapper worked for Marjorie Mezvinsky, her campaign. Remember her? Big-time Democrat? Montgomery County, Pennsylvania? He also was a, uh, was a, a, a spokesman for handgun controlling, Jake Tapper. And his wife's a big lib, too. Hey, I just got to get it out there. Former FBI agent Josh Campbell similarly raised eyebrows when he joined CNN after very publicly leaving the FBI and blaming his resignation on President Trump. And he served at the FBI from 2008 to 2018, a.k.a. during Obama's era. And his closeness with former director Comey and his relative inexperience in the field raised questions as to whether CNN hired him to provide real expertise or to give the, the, uh, the network more ammo. And it goes on. And it goes on. There's your CNN. That's why they're in last place. You know, you're destroying freedom of the press here. No, you are. You're a bunch of clowns. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. All right. Here we go again. This time, listen to this. Turns out that an identity protection company that I'm sure you've heard of hasn't been so careful in protecting the email addresses of their own customers. And many were compromised. You believe that? Please hear me. The only identity company that I trust to protect me and my family is my ID care. You have to take this stuff seriously. If you have credit cards, do online banking, or even use email, you're vulnerable. Now, I don't worry because I switched my identity protection to the guys who've been protecting Fortune 500 companies for years, My ID Care. You can get their stellar protection, too, at myidcare.com slash mark, promo code mark. You'll get 15% off if you do it exactly that way, which is myidcare.com slash mark, promo code mark. I'm proud to partner with My ID Care. They take great care of their customers and our data, and they cover us for the nine types of identity theft. For less than 10 bucks a month, My ID Care can even help if you're already a victim. Learn more, and then let My ID Care take care of you. MyIDCare.com slash mark, promo code mark, and you'll get 15% off. One more time, I wouldn't wait. MyIDCare.com slash mark, promo code Mark. All right, let's see here. You know, my whole damn computer blew out. The hardware. I don't know what it is. I complain about this all the time. Let's go to Ann Arbor, Michigan. How are you? Hey there, Mark. Uh, good show. Um, I just, just a quick comment. Uh, Iran has always been a, a pass for 40 years, but I think it's important to not overreact. I think it's important to keep the sea lanes free. But not let Iran have, but let, it, let Iran have their exercise circus and not be suckered into a skirmish that can only backfire into simply giving their politicians fodder for their own means. So you think our military is, will be suckered, huh? Well, not necessarily, but I, I think it, they, they do set a trap. I mean, why give? They're not them setting a trap. These people are for real, sir. Oh, I believe that, but 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 it's important for us to keep the sea lanes free. We, well, I, I understand. It's important for us to keep the sea lanes free, but don't do anything about it. No, I, we should be there, but we should... To, to do what? Be there to do what? Be there to do be what? There. Wave? 
to no to engage if necessary. Well, of course, we, that's the whole point. You're not saying something that the military doesn't know. Okay, we're not. So, look, we're not the problem. They're the problem. We're not trigger happy. They're trigger happy. And if they fill the sea lanes, they have to be attacked. It's the way it is. That's the way it's always been. You know, we, we, we've always been considered a naval nation because we have oceans on two sides. You know, we got to be careful not to be sucked in. We're not being sucked in. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. By the way... Just because I move on to other subjects doesn't mean those of you who have called and are a hold and wanted to talk about something I already spoke about won't be taken. You will. It's just that I want to get to other matters. We only have three hours here. A couple things going on. First, let's take a look at the second day of the trial in the Eastern District of Virginia. That would be in Alexandria, the courthouse there, of uh, Manafort. The Washington Post had a very interesting timeline. At 10.02 a.m., Judge Ellis tells prosecutors, stop using the word oligarch. You see, what the prosecution's trying to do here is they're trying to create a narrative and trying to create the most negative possible uh, description of what Mueller was up to. I don't know Mueller. I don't know if he's innocent. Go. That's not my point. And so the judge is saying, wait a minute. He says here, I quote, an oligarch is just a despotic power exercised by a privileged few. What I want to avoid, he says to the prosecutor, is somehow to use the term to mean he was consorting or paid by people who were criminals. There will be no evidence of that. The prosecutor protested that the people funding Manafort's work in Ukraine are commonly referred to there as oligarchs. Political consultant Tad Devine, who, by the way, worked for Bernie Sanders, described one such man as an oligarch in his testimony. Ellis interrupted the prosecutor. If the term just referred to a billionaire involved in politics, Ellis said, then both George Soros and the Koch brothers would qualify. The term oligarch has come to have a pejorative meaning, the judge said. We're not going to have this case find that he associated with despicable people and therefore he's despicable. That's not the American way. Ellis said the government could file a brief on the issue if they want, but didn't think the use of the term was necessary. And why is the Look, he's being accused of bank fraud and other types of fraud, right? So the judge is saying, okay, prove your case. Prove your case. Uh, the witnesses go on. Um, they talk about uh, money transfers and so forth. And then the prosecution gets into what they saw in the Manaford apartment, the types of clothing they saw and other things. 
very lavish. And so again, what the prosecutor is doing, the government's doing, Mueller's team is doing, is trying to get the jury to turn on Manafort because he's rich and he has a lot of money and he buys a lot of stuff. Well, that didn't get past the judge. Washington Post's uh, transcribing what took place. After the defense raised an objection to prosecutors introducing an invoice, seized an FBI raid of his home for proposed work on a Manafort home, Judge Ellis dismissed the jury for a break and then grilled prosecutors for a second time. Ellis expressed skepticism over how the invoice actually advanced the prosecutor's case that Manafort filed false tax returns and didn't fully report money he had made to the Internal Revenue Service. Furthermore, the judge worried that it might prejudice the jury against Manafort. The judge asked Assistant U.S. Attorney Uzo Asanye if it showed just that Manafort is awash in money. Asanye argued that document furthered the prosecution's case because it showed that Manafort had hid money from tax preparers and a bookkeeper and that he used money from accounts in Cyprus to pay for a long list of luxury items. Those expenditures were never reported on the tax returns. Ellis said he would take the argument under advisement and decide later whether to allow the invoice to be introduced. Ellis has, signed some, uh, has signaled some displeasure with the prosecution's case, grousing that it, quote, uh, is gilding the lily. I understand exactly what he means. Make your case. Use your facts. Why are you using all these uh, rhetorical arguments? The reason is they're hoping that, uh, that, again, it'll persuade the jury. His lavish spending is irrelevant. The judges interrupted prosecutors on occasion to speed up their questioning and bluntly question them at other moments. Interesting. Then, a few minutes later, The judge said that while he hasn't seen it himself, he's been told that lawyers on both sides have been rolling their eyes after leaving bench conferences. The implication, he said, is, why do we have to put up with this idiot judge? Don't do that, he told the lawyers. It's inappropriate. He said that if he had seen it himself, I might be a little upset, but that his eyes are not what they were 40, 50, or 60 years ago. He's 78 years old. Rein in your facial expressions, he said. And so uh, then the judge rules later, about an hour later, that the prosecution cannot enter an invoice for proposed home renovation, saying all this document shows is that Mr. Manafort had a lavish lifestyle. He had a nice home with a pool and a gazebo. It's not relevant. He also expressed concern about showing the jury photos of Manafort's expensive suits, although prosecutors said it was necessary to prove the defendant bought and kept those items. To parade all of this again seems to me unnecessary, the judge said. The judge's skepticism could be troublesome for prosecutors who are trying to present the case that Manafort lived a life of luxury but paid no taxes or money here. You don't need to show his suits to make that case. You don't need to show invoices to make that case. You got the entire IRS working for you. You're asserting that the man didn't pay his taxes. What's your evidence? Certainly it's not the suits. Now, on Manafort's items from a place called House of Bijan, 
a menswear company that builds itself as the world's most expensive. Ellis expressed confusion. Now he's joking around. He said, look, if it's not men's warehouse, I don't even know what that means. Now, something rather remarkable happening during the course of today's case. Assistant U.S. Attorney Uzo Osanye surprised the judge when he casually mentioned that Richard Gates, Paul Manafort's former partner, remember he flipped for the state, and the expected star witness of the case may or may not testify. What? The prosecutor was responding to a question about an agenda from a meeting with Gates in 2013. He may testify, he may not, Asanye said of Gates. We're trying to shorten the trial. Prosecutors said that was not because of anything particular to Gates. Every witness, he said, might not be necessary, depending on how the evidence unfolds. Ellis, the judge, said it was news to him and obviously many others. He he saw these reporters leaving the courtroom to report it, and he said, 25 people just scurried out here like rats leaving a sinking ship. Gates not taking the stand would be a curious development in the case. Prosecutors had accused Gates of being a participant in most of the fraud, the alleged fraud, it should say, that Manafort is charged with. And he would be able to provide an intimate window into what they were doing. Earlier this year, Gates pleaded guilty to conspiracy and lying to the FBI and agreed to cooperate with prosecutors. But here's why they're not sure what to do. They may eventually put him up. But Manafort's lawyers, the defense counsel, have made Gates the centerpiece of their defense. They've said Gates embezzled money from, from their business. And the fraud was meant to hide his own misdeeds. Manafort is saying, look, I wasn't the guy handling the money. Gates handled it. I relied on Gates, the prosecution's key witness, who just made a deal with the prosecution in order to save himself and get me. Rick Gates had his hand in the cookie jar, and he couldn't take the risk that his boss might find out, one of Manafort's defense attorneys said. Isn't that interesting? Assistant U.S. Attorney Uzo Asanye surprised everybody in that regard. As Rachel Weiner explained in her post looking at the characters in the Manafort trial, Gates and Manafort were close, she wrote. Gates started his career as an intern at the aggressive, controversial political consulting firm Manafort co-founded, working closely with Republican lobbyist Rick Davis. Gates left the firm to work for companies in the lottery and gaming business. Former partner Charlie Black has said, but he reunited with Davis and Manafort at the new firm in 2006 and became, in the words of his indictment, Manafort's right-hand man. Manafort had just begun doing political consulting work for an aspiring Ukrainian politician with ties to Russian oligarchs. So in other words, the defense is saying, okay, great. That, in your own filings, you say was Manafort's right-hand man. We agree. He's the guy, to the extent there is any graft, who pulled it off. Now the prosecution saying, well, we're not sure we're going to actually put him on the stand or not. Of course, defense counsel can put him on the stand. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
We're told now. Because the media basically regurgitates what's leaked to them by the prosecutor's office. The issue isn't collusion. The issue is conspiracy. So after all this time, it's not collusion, it's conspiracy. And all the former prosecutors who are now professors or adjunct professors or work on Wall Street or wherever they are, yeah, yeah, it can be a conspiracy to, you know, affect the outcome of an election. Oh. And then I read uh, during the break from ABC News, because the leaks are coming fast and furiously, um, that the reason the president tweeted this morning is because Mueller and his gang are pressing the point of obstruction. And they want to question the president about obstruction. And so the president tweeted out earlier this morning, this is a terrible situation. And Attorney General Jeff Sessions should stop this rigged witch hunt right now before it continues to stain our country any further. Bob Mueller is totally conflicted. And his 17 angry Democrats that are doing his dirty work are a disgrace to the United States. He went on. Actually, earlier. FBI agent Peter Stroke on the Mueller team should have recused himself on day one. He was out to stop the election of Donald Trump. He needed an insurance policy. Those are illegal, improper goals trying to influence the election. He should never, ever have been allowed to remain in the FBI while he himself was being investigated. This is a real issue. It won't go into a Mueller report because Mueller is going to protect these guys. Mueller has an interest in creating the illusion of objectivity around his investigation. That is a quote from Alan Dershowitz. I think this is all accurate, and people are out there saying this is obstruction. What is obstruction? Obstruction when a president openly suggests that his attorney general should stop what's going on. He hasn't fired his attorney general. He hasn't ordered his attorney general. He's publicly made a statement. That's now obstruction when the president of the United States tweets a statement about what he thinks his attorney general should do, where he has the power to fire his attorney general if he wants, that's obstruction? Do people understand what obstruction is? The president of the United States is both a citizen and the president of the United States. And acting as president of the United States, he oversees this vast executive branch. And what's happening here is that the Democrats and the media, some Republicans, want to make the case that the president is not free to control the executive branch because they want more and more of the government to be unmoored from a president, unless, of course, it's a president they like. Now, I pointed out Monday, Monday in the first hour, second segment, that Jeff Sessions should step up and do something about what's going on from a constitutional perspective. He hasn't recused himself entirely as attorney general. He hasn't recused himself from making judgment calls for the Department of Justice when it comes to the Constitution, whatever the investigative matter. He's sitting back. And notice he's not attacked by the left. He's not attacked by the media. They are perfectly happy with him being in the closet. 
But the biggest thing going on in this country right now, as applies to the president, is the fact that there is a a rogue prosecutor on the loose. Even the judge in the Eastern District of Virginia, he's having to tell him, stop bringing up extraneous stuff. It doesn't matter how rich he is. It doesn't matter what kind of suits he has. You want to introduce pictures of his suits and an invoice of what he purchased? What does that have to do with bank fraud or tax fraud or conspiracy? You got a case? Make your case. The president of the United States, I just hope his lawyers follow what I say. It's, 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 it's no fun. It's going to involve significant litigation. And who knows what the outcome is with the Supreme Court. But the fact is, the Constitution and the law and the prior positions of the Department of Justice are on the president's side. Now, look, I just told you what Iran's doing, right? I just told you what Iran's doing. You know what North Korea's doing. You know what China's doing and Russia's doing. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is why those two memos were written at the Department of Justice saying, you can't bog a president down in this stuff. Particularly in this case, ladies and gentlemen, when there is no real crime that they're trying to, to pin on the president. They're trying to concoct a crime to pin on the president. The old favorite, false statements. The old favorite, conspiracy. The old favorite, obstruction. It's preposterous. And from our perspective, whether or not you're a Trump supporter, these are constitutional questions. They do damage to the Constitution. Of course the statist progressives don't care. They don't care about the Constitution unless they can use it to defend themselves or advance their agenda. Then they like it. Otherwise, they could care less. You have a man, his people, his candidacy that was spied on. And Mueller's blind to it. And Rosenstein's blind to it. And Sessions took a pass. We know for a fact this campaign was spied on. They even had an informant, and Trey Gowdy thinks that's all swell. An informant on a political campaign, an FBI informant. A FISA court warrant on an individual who had worked in the campaign based on a dossier paid for by the opposition campaign. And the entire focus is on the president to try and create an obstruction scenario? Nah. No questions. No answers. We'll see you in court. That should be the answer. I'll be right back. This is America's Constitutional Convention. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now. 877-381-3811. I think what's not being realized also in the commentariat on the left or the right is there's over 60 million people who voted for Donald Trump to be president of the United States. Over 60 million people. And the elites and the establishment are trying to reverse their votes, the outcome of the election. 
And many people are not just going to sit quietly. I'm not talking about going in the streets with arms. I'm not talking about that. So it's not just an intellectual debate. It's not just Rodney King, can we all get along? That's the problem. You have a certain group of people in this country trying to undo what over 60 million people in this country did legitimately, honestly, at the ballot box. And that's a big problem. And I don't think people are really thinking this through. People who are saying things like, well, let the investigation take its course. Well, we're going to impeach him if we, if we take the House. Well, let's be civil with each other. Well, let's... The, well, you know, a coup is a very, very dangerous thing. And that's how I view it. It's a coup. I'm the one who started talking about it that way. The others have picked it up. And I love it when I'm, it's quoted back to me, by the way. Incidentally, I'd be remiss, as they say, if I didn't mention and congratulate my dear friend Rush Limbaugh. 30 years on the radio. A trailblazer. The trailblazer. 30 years. And some people don't like him. Some people don't like me. Most people love him, who listen to him. And there are millions and millions and millions. And you know what? I look at the ratings. I get the ratings. He's as, as, as powerful as he ever was on radio. As he ever was. And you may not agree with everything he says, or maybe you agree with everything he says. But the fact of the matter is, he's at the top. And you put him at the top. And there's a reason for that. Now, I started out with him as F. Lee Levin. Cookie reached out to me. Uh, His longtime uh, assistant, who handles the audio side of the house, um, years ago, decades ago, maybe 20 years ago, something like that, maybe more. I don't remember. Uh, Because of uh, my legal knowledge, they'd see me on cable TV and so forth, and I would provide my thoughts. And it reached a point, and you know how Rush is, tongue-in-cheek, and he said, I'm going to name you the director of our legal program, our legal studies, F. Lee Levin, after F. Lee Bailey, of course. (laughs) Still cracks me up. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, I thought it was very, very important. And it was thrilling for me. And he's always been supportive in everything I've done. So we want to congratulate Rush Limbaugh on 30 years. It doesn't seem like 30 years. It doesn't seem like 30 years at all. And I think I've been listening to him for 25 years. It doesn't seem like that either. Then I look in the mirror and I say, well, you do look older. So I guess it is. Um, take one atom of nitrogen and bond it with one atom of oxygen. Boom. You just created nitric oxide, a miracle molecule your own body makes that fuels your cardiovascular health, keeping you vibrant. As we age, 
our bodies need help generating more natural nitric oxide. Super Beets by Human has harnessed the power of nutrient-enriched beets and created a superfood that helps your body make more nitric oxide on its own. The core philosophy of human is to develop heart-healthy products for your body. One teaspoon is all it takes. One teaspoon of Super Beets daily supports your cardiovascular health and blood pressure levels, giving you natural energy without the need of a quick caffeine kick or sugar high. We're talking real, healthy, natural energy. So here's what I want you to do. Call their toll-free number, 866-205-4907, 866-205-4907, or go to superbeats.com slash Levin, superbeats.com slash L-E-V-I-N, and find out how you can get a free, I said free, 30-day supply of Super Beats and free shipping with your first purchase. Feel the one plus one equals boom effect of Super Beats on your body. Call 866-205-4907 or go to superbeats.com slash L-E-V-I-N Levin. Do it right now. I know you're going to like it. 866-205-4907. Let us continue. Let us go to Claudia, Carmel, New York, the great WABC. Go. Hi, Mr. Levin. Oh, what an honor for me to get through to you. I just want to thank you so very, very much for your defense of our Constitution and support of the military. I have a now 22-year-old United States Marine and... um, I love Donald Trump. He's not perfect, but I'm so saddened by the things that go on and disgusted by the politicians who don't support our president. Mm-hmm. In fact, we have people who not only don't support him, which would be fine. We have people who are trying to destroy him. That's what's not fine. And that's what's heartbreaking to me, because mm-hmm. all, all, not all presidents before him were perfect. As we know. No, and most of the people attacking him are are quite imperfect. Oh, my goodness. I can't even stand the sound of Chuck Schumer's voice. And it just disheartens me because he's our president no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I have a son who's willing to serve, and it just makes me sick. And I just want to thank you so, so much. And you give me hope. Well... First of all, thank your wonderful family uh, for their service, and you too. And you, you be strong. There's millions and millions of us who are behind you, okay? I appreciate you so much. Thank you so very well, much. Well, you're God a sweetheart. You. you too. Thank you. All right. There it is. My call screen's back. Uh, let us go to Mark, Wilmington, North Carolina, the great WAAV. Go ahead. Mark, how are you, sir? Pleasure All right. With you. Thank you. I, I just had a quick question. I um, wanted to, to follow up on uh, what what the last caller was talking about um, as far as the pulse of the country. I, I know you're really in tune with everything that's going on and everything as far as, like, but do you really... Do you really... Come on, spit it out, baby. We're going to run out of time. Go ahead. Now, do you really understand 
what would have happened or what could have happened if Hillary had been elected. What are you talking about? I talk about it all the time. No, I'm talking about a total military march on the Washington, D.C. No, there would not have been a military march on Washington, D.C. Uh, sir, I beg I Get off the phone, you idiot. You're calling the wrong person. Military march on what? What is he talking about, Mr. Uh, Producer? Do you have any idea? Military march on who's good? The military is going to march on Washington, D.C.? And do what? I mean, come on, stay within the uh, in in the world of the uh, of the uh, of the of the reasonable, will you? There's enough crap going on out there that's extreme. You don't have to manufacture it. All right, Jeff, Waco, Texas. I don't have the call letters up there, Mister Call Screener. How are you listening to us? Uh, I'm just on my phone. I was listening on the radio. Uh, yeah. WDAP eight twenty. Wonderful. Thank you. Go right ahead. Uh, yes, sir. Just a pretty simple comment. Uh, listening to the uh, outcry about uh, President Trump tweeting and that being uh, somehow obstruction. I don't recall hearing anything uh, like that when President, then President Obama, made a comment, uh, basically exonerating Hillary while that investigation was going on. And I just don't understand how to square that. You know, that's a great point. That is a great point, and I hadn't thought of that. You're right. So when Obama telegraphs that uh, Hillary didn't do anything wrong, uh, we didn't get all these phony professors and phony former prosecutors on TV and, and in print media telling us that's obstruction of justice. That's a great point, Jeff. I'll tell you what. How old are you? Uh, I'm 37. Don't hang up. I want to send you a copy of Plunder and Deceit. That was a very good oh, call. Don't hang you, up. Certainly was better than the prior one. Mark, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the great WPHT. I sound like I'm talking to myself. My name, my hometown. Go ahead. <laughs> Thanks for taking my call. About you got the uh, Manafort trial, all this yes. extraneous evidence, why didn't Manafort's lawyer make an application for the court to suppress and preclude all of those arguments and all of this silly evidence that the prosecutors are trying to bring in. Because I'm sure that if they're having these arguments in front of the jury in open court... No, 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 no. He sent the jury out. I'm sorry? The judge sent the jury out. Oh, okay. Okay, but, but they should have... But you're still making a good point. They should look at this evidence and then decide what they want to get out and tell the judge. Your, your point been- is they shouldn't wait for the judge to tell them what they should be doing. They should just do it. Right, right. They should have just done that weeks ago, weeks ago, and then they could have argued it with the judge, and then the judge said, okay, this is in, this is out, this is out. This yeah, is I'm not, I don't know how to answer that. That's a good point. Here's another good call. I'll tell you what, don't hang up. We're going to send you a copy of Rediscovering Americanism. Don't Thank hang you. up, Philly. All right, make sure that gentleman gets a book, too. I'm not hawking these books. These books are done. I hope people read them. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. All right. Let's go to Steve Long Island, the great WABC. Go ahead. Hey, Mark. It's an honor speaking to you. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you. Mark, I... 
Mark, I have a question. I, you know, I made an observation that, you know, if you simplify what this country is divided about, it basically comes down to, you know, the right is uh, looking at it from a logical perspective, whereas the left is looking at it uh, from an emotional perspective. Uh, almost like a, a married couple that can't get along. I mean, where do you see, uh, you know, I, well, the question is, how do you see us coming together? The two sides. All right, all right uh, two things. Number one, I think the followers of the leaders of the status progressives may be emotional. But I don't consider the people at the top of the pecking order to be emotional at all. I consider them to be very uh, diabolical, very clever, uh, very mechanical in what they're doing, strategic. I know who their intellectuals are. I know who their past intellectuals are, and so they're not emotional at all. Yes, uh, but they hold on, hold on now. Go ahead. But but their followers are, for the most part. Yeah, uh, and that's not enough to say they're just emotional. It's it's even more than that. Their their uh, their mindsets have been altered from a mindset that was, uh, you know, that Americans are uh, independent, they're self sufficient, that there's free will. I mean, I have callers in this program. I have a right to health care. I have a right to education. I have a right to that. I have a right to that. Like zombies. Um, And how do we come together? I don't don't know. Uh, I'm not Rodney King, and I can't tell you how we come together or if we come together. Over some issues, I don't want us to come together. Like, uh, let's take one, one big example in our history, slavery. You don't come together. You defeat the evil. And this is part of the problem with people who say we should just talk. There's certain things you can just talk about and certain things you can't just talk about. Certain things are evil. So I don't know how we come together, quote unquote. One of the reasons I think there's a great divide in this country now is finally, finally, millions and millions of us are pushing against this status progressivism before it's too late. Sir, thank you for your call. You know, hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin, L-E-V-I-N. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And with results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, you, my listeners, can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive website. Ready? ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-E-V-I-N. I would go there immediately. Go for it. It's free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. L-E-V-I-N. Because ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. It simply is. And if you're looking to hire, that's the place to go. And I guess, as I say, if you're my listener to this program, it's free. Uh, let us go to Robert, Wichita, Kansas, XM Satellite. Yes, sir. Go right ahead. Hi, Mark. I love the show. 
Thank you. Curious as to why the statute of limitations on the uh, uh, Mueller case doesn't apply since it started in 2005. Well, that's a pretty good question, isn't it? Uh, I'm not sure that they're charging him with crimes that occurred outside the statute of limitations, or I'm sure the lawyer would have raised that by, or their lawyers would have raised it by now. It is probably viewed as a continuing violation. That is, one tax return on top of the next, on top of the next, on top of the next, something of that sort. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I was, I, anybody would know you would. I appreciate it. Well, I suspect that's what it is. Uh, otherwise, they'd be knocked down. All right, my friend. I appreciate your call. Tim, Vero Beach, Florida, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Boy, great to speak to you. Thank you. I hope you can uh, go 30 years like Maharishi as well. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you I'm not because uh, I have 15 I years in, and I, pl- and I plan to retire when I'm about 70, so that's less than 30. Anyway, go right well, ahead. Good for you. Listen, what would happen if Donald Trump and the RNC was caught you know, red-handed uh, laundering $85 million of uh, campaign funds? What Be more it, specific. What are, we, what are we talking about? Well, isn't that what Hillary Clinton and the DNC did? It's a big story recently. Are they not allowed to share funds? I'm no expert on this. Well, what I understand, the funds, it was to avoid the limits. So they were donating. But but it's my understanding that that was not illegal, that that's considered a a gray area. But to answer your question, under Robert Mueller, there are no gray areas. So you're right. He'd come come with guns a-blazing. But it's my understanding that's a gray area. Yeah, I, is, I can understand that. Is it your understanding that it's not? No, I'm just saying that it could be. But if it was yeah. Trump, it wouldn't be great. Yeah, so he'd like, be uh, guilty as uh, as accused, you know. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call. We'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. As you know, we spent some time on the Manafort trial, and we all know why Manafort is in the dock. And it's because he was Trump's campaign manager for four or five months. All these allegations against him occurred before he was Trump's campaign manager. They occurred when Mr. Mueller, the special counsel, was the FBI director. Think about that. But now it all comes to a head. Why? It's a disgrace. This isn't even part of the special counsel's uh, original mandate. It's expanded to include responsibility. I'm telling you, this is the Achilles heel. Professor Calabrese and I are correct. This is the Achilles heel. The more power he has, the more he acts like a United States attorney, the more it is clear that it's a violation of the appointments clause of the Constitution. Now, today... 
at Pearl Harbor, 55 coffins with remains in them um, from American heroes were returned to the United States. And there'll be extensive DNA testing to determine exactly who these heroes are. There are over 7,000 missing in the Korean War. I can never forgive the family that runs that country for what they did. Never. And what they're doing today. But in honor of those who perished and those whose names we don't know really yet who were returned today, God bless America. Go ahead. While the storm clouds gather Far across the sea Let us swear allegiance To a land that's free song does it for me every time the way that it is sung and when you watch those 55 caskets as I did during the break it breaks your heart this is why you need an incredibly powerful military the most powerful on the face of the earth this is not up for debate and I'm sick and tired of people who view us as imperialists as colonialists that we start wars These are people who've never gone to war, who've never had family members go to war, who've never had family members with horrific casualties who've died in war. And I'm sorry to say this is a growing mentality uh, within the Republican Party, the uh, Code Pink Republicans. And I reject it completely. And I will continue to reject it. When we show power, when we show might, our enemies fold. We are not imperialists, we are not colonialists. If we were, we'd own half the globe now. We were, we would conquer Central and South America. 
If we were, Canada would be a 51st state. If we were, Cuba would be an American island. If we were, much of Europe would be under our control, the way the Soviets had much of Europe under their control. I'm sick and tired of this country being put down. I really am. Not talking about the federal government. I'm sick and tired of this country being put down. Understand, when this country's put down, they're intending to put down the American people. This is why, when these multimillionaire, pampered sports athletes take a knee, you and me are disgusted. Because we think about those, those men and women. We think about those caskets that came off the plane. We think about what goes on in a foxhole in combat. Because we've had family members, or in some cases, many of you have actually done it. And to watch, you know, I watched this LeBron James interview. I watched this LeBron James interview. The man is among the most popular people in the country. He's extraordinarily wealthy playing basketball basketball he hasn't done anything to protect this country he hasn't done anything to protect this country he talks and most of us haven't and he talks about the president dividing us no Mr. James it's your colleagues in the sports world, taking a knee. They've divided us. It's your hero, Barack Obama. He divided us. It's your political party that lives on division, balkanization, tribalization, that has divided us. It is your party, the party of slavery 150 years ago, the party of segregation 50 years ago, the party of democratic socialism today, that divides the country. See, Mr. James, we are not a racist country. You should be listening to Shelby Steele and others who make the case over and over again. We are all free in this country, all of us. The hard work's been done. Civil war's been fought. The civil rights movement was fought. We're a free people. Embrace it. Embrace it. There's this debate that goes on on all the ESPN channels from time to time on whether LeBron James is the greatest basketball player ever or Michael Jordan. And it's hands down Michael Jordan. You want to know why? Because Michael Jordan understands the American people better than LeBron James. Being the greatest anything means being great in every way. Not just on the court. And people can debate the stats and debate the era and so forth. But it's off the court too. 
LeBron James is a leftist, and he wants you to know about it. And he can't stand Trump, and he wants you to know about it. I believe Michael Jordan is a liberal and he's a Democrat. I know he liked to play golf with Obama. But I don't know much else about his politics. That's why he was the greatest basketball player ever. His skills on and off the court. I'll be right back. Lovin. favorite websites and David Harsanyi is a senior editor there writes very brilliantly over there how are you sir I'm well thank you well everybody's stealing from your post today uh, which always annoys me (laughs) Uh, they're using a lot of the information you presented in there a lot that I didn't know and what am I talking about America I'm talking about this so-called 3d gun and when you listen to the media, somebody can just have a 3D printer, boom, and they can print out guns. And I'm going, what, what the hell are they talking about? What the hell are they talking about? Well, they, they, want, they want to make it seem like you can just buy this printer and that just, you know, magically a gun will appear for you, which I'm not sure is a totally bad idea, but it doesn't exist yet. We don't have the technology for that. What they're talking about is merely some code that, and, and, and designs essentially to make guns um, with a 3D printer. It sounds simple, but it still takes a lot of skill and a lot of time to actually build one of these guns, um, which is completely legal and always has been legal. Americans have been building guns in their homes since the 1600s. But they and, want to make it sound like yeah. it's illegal, yeah. And uh, they say it's all plastic. It's not all plastic, is it? No, there are... There, uh, an all-plastic gun won't really work. I mean, there are metal components in these guns. They're not undetectable ghost guns that no one can, can see. Um, and also, you know, even, even, if, even if they were, it's not like you can take one on a plane. They're, you really don't use metal detectors. And, and, and on top of all of that, it's illegal to make an undetectable gun already. There is already a law in the book since 1988 that says you cannot make a, a gun that can go through a metal detector, so a plastic gun. So it's illegal to make a non-detectable gun. Yes. Uh, it is a detectable gun. Yes. And it's not easy to make because, first of all, how much are these 3D printers? <laughs> Thousands of dollars. And, and not just that, you need all the tools to mill out the pieces and things like that. So um, you would have to spend thousands of dollars on this. And incidentally, a person who um, is, is prohibited from having a gun is prohibited from making one already. So essentially, there are you know there are already laws on the books for this. This is nothing new. Uh, if someone makes a gun who shouldn't be, they're breaking the law already. So what's going on here? They want to prevent people from making guns. Is that pretty much it? I mean, my theory is that they see that this is the future because the fact of the matter is that technology moves forward. We're probably going to one day have three D printers that can uh, help you make a gun easier, and people will have their Second Amendment rights will be easier to attain, obviously, but uh, they see this as, as a threat, so uh, they, they want to get ahead of it. On the second, you know, and, and another thing that they're doing, obviously, is scaremongering and fear-mongering just generally about guns. I think they want to scare people all the time, and this is just sort of the flavor of the month for them. And tell me, what will these plastic guns shoot? Plastic bullets? Um, 
they have like no. hard, hard plastic sort of shells. It depends which ones. I mean, some of them you can get a design for an AR-15 and use, uh, you know, just ammunition that is, is used in a normal AR-15. People build guns like this all the time at home. But that's so. my point. When you have a, let's say it's an all plastic gun, you yeah. still have to put bullets in it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it has to be metal. It, you couldn't really shoot a gun like this without some metal components to hold it together. It's just, uh, it's, it's, and by the way, I mean, I don't know how, how many crimes have been committed. I couldn't find any statistics on this, but certainly there hasn't been sort of an outbreak of plastic guns being used across the country. I, I don't think uh, anyone thinks, you know, listen, a criminal can just go and get, do a, you know, have a straw purchase or, or find a gun in another way, and that's how they usually do it. Well, speaking of straws, what's more dangerous, a plastic gun that's not really plastic or a plastic straw? What, what's, what's more dangerous? Well, we, if printers could make straws, then they'd really have a problem there. In I'm waiting for them to outlaw that, too. Right. Well, listen, I mean, they're scared of guns, so anything that has to do with guns. Listen, they call it 3D guns and downloadable guns. You're not actually downloading a gun. These are just plans, which I wanted to mention. It, this is a First Amendment issue, not a gun issue. Now, why is that? Because these are just code. You're just essentially sending code over the Internet. You're just downloading code. The, the reason they banned this was because there was some convoluted way that the Obama administration uh, said that this was sort of sending out international arms to other countries that had nothing to do with the actual 3D printer or the gun here domestically. So it, it, it was an issue of code, not a gun. It has nothing to do with a gun. You can build a gun at home. It's completely legal. It always has been. You can build a non-plastic gun. <laughs> you can build, yeah. People do all the time. Well, uh, let me ask you this. We yeah. just had a federal judge intervene and basically prevent the uh, selling of these codes to the public. What do you make of that? I, I, you know, I mean, it's just... Pretty shocking, isn't it? Yeah, it's just authoritarian. Really. I mean, it's just one judge decides um, that uh, this speech, because the guns are, are, are scary to him or, he, you know, he doesn't like the idea that this code, even though the federal government has settled with the person that they were after, cannot be on the Internet. It's, it's, it's unimaginable. It wouldn't happen in any other sort of speech case, and yet the ACLU is nowhere to be found. The journalists who are constantly sanctimoniously talking about the end of free speech are nowhere to be found. Um, it's a real problem, and, uh, you know, I hope, it, I hope it continues to go to higher courts and maybe one day to the Supreme Court, these sorts of cases. I just think there is the propaganda is winning the day here. And uh, it's happening way too often in this country, particularly when it comes to guns. And as a matter of fact, you're kind of an expert on guns here. It says here that you, uh, you have a book coming out called First Freedom, A Ride Through America's Enduring History with the Gun from the Revolution to Today. I suspect you're not going to be invited on, you know, meet the press or anything like that. I'm afraid not, no. But uh, thankfully there are shows like this. So, All right. Keep up the good work. I enjoy reading you and I enjoy your site. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Take care. We'll be right back. Mark Levin, making conservatism great again. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. So another phony issue that I guess we're going to spend three weeks on with the media, the 3D gun. Just have a printer. Just make it. And actually, that's not how it works. And speaking of these judges and the courts, 
A U.S. appeals court, that would be the Ninth Circuit, ruled that President Trump's executive order threatening to withhold funding from sanctuary cities is unconstitutional. That is an outrage. There's nothing unconstitutional about it. The federal executive branch has been doing that to states left and right to impose its will on education, on agriculture, on on the environment, you name it, withholding funds. But because it's President Trump and because it deals with sanctuary cities, we have a a two-to-one vote on a panel of judges on the Ninth Circuit. This is why the courts are like the media now. They're disreputable. They're unprofessional. They're biased. They're political. That should be a 3-0 vote. That's easy. This has been going on for decades. We've talked about it. I've written about it. How the federal government's able to, quote-unquote, blackmail states. Except, of course, when it works the other way around. That is, when you have a president who's actually trying to enforce the immigration laws. We had a Supreme Court decision 5-4, to four, written by uh, Justice Kennedy. Not the great Justice Kennedy, just Justice Kennedy. Not so great. In which he essentially said that the president has plenary power when it comes to making decisions about immigration and so forth. Okay, apparently every president except Trump. Ridiculous. You know, it's the, uh, it's the middle of the night. You're tossing, you're turning, you're covered in sweat. Well, what's going on? You could run the air conditioning or a fan, try and keep cool. Or you could get rid of your heat-trapping mattress and sleep as cool as the other side of the pillow, like I do on my Casper mattress. All Casper mattresses use premium foams that relieve pressure and help align your body. So you fall asleep feeling comfortable and wake up feeling refreshed. And thanks to the breathable material, you're guaranteed to sleep coolly all summer long. Casper ships for free in a box so small you won't believe it even holds a mattress. That's so you can try it risk-free for 100 nights. I tell you all the time, take your existing mattress, lean it against the wall, try the Casper. You're going to keep it, I know. But if you don't love yours, they'll come pick it up and refund you everything. There's no risk. Sleep cool and comfortably every night. Get a Casper. Try yours for 100 nights with free shipping and returns. Go to Casper.com. Use code MARK. Casper.com. Use code MARK for $50 towards the purchase of select mattresses. That's Casper.com. Code MARK. Casper.com. Terms and conditions apply. You know, I've done that eight times. We have six Casper mattresses for humans and two for each of our dogs. Barney and Marty. You're not familiar with Marty? Well, that's been my Julie's dog for 11 years. So we have Marty, who's 11, and Barney, who's 10. Don't, don't, I don't even want to think about their ages. It gets me upset. But they're, they're doing fine right now. Anyway. Much has been said, particularly at CNN, about the crowd, the, the audience, uh, in, uh, in Tampa, Florida, uh, who attended the uh, Ron DeSantis uh, event uh, held by the President of the United States, Donald Trump. As you all know, in Florida, I have endorsed Ron DeSantis for the Republican nomination and for the governorship of Florida. Well, Mark, you live in Virginia. No, I also have a place in Florida. and My parents are in Florida. It means a lot to me. And this guy, Adam Putman, is a fraud. DeSantis is the real deal. That's why I went down there and campaigned for him. I rarely do that. And so CNN is there, and particularly Jim Acosta, 
who is a reprobate. And the crowd sees CNN and they see Acosta. And of course, according to CNN, uh, freedom of the press, that is, freedom of leftists on CNN trumps freedom of speech. So here's the crowd chanting CNN sucks. Cut 11, go. Uh, The White House closed out the month of July without holding a briefing for reporters today. That means the White House has held only three briefings for the press this month and eight total since the uh, end of May. There is no other way to describe what the White House is doing these days. Wolf, top officials, including the president, are hiding from the press. And Wolf, just to give you a sense as to what's happening right now, you can hear there is a chorus of boos and other chants from this Trump crowd here in Tampa, Florida. They're saying things like CNN sucks, go home, and fake news. Wolf, obviously, all of those things are false. We're staying right here. We're going to do our job and report on this rally to all of our viewers here tonight. Wolf. I actually enjoyed that. Can we play that again, Mr. Producer? Cut 11. Go. Uh, the White House closed out the month of July without holding a briefing for reporters today. That means the White House has held only three briefings for the press this month and eight total since the uh, end of May. There is no other way to describe what the White House is doing these days. Wolf, top officials, including the president, are hiding from the press. And, Wolf, just to give you a sense as to what's happening right now, you can hear there is a chorus of boos and other chants from this Trump crowd. No, here no, no, in no. Tampa. There's a chorus of CNN sucks. Get it straight. Because CNN does suck. Go ahead. Go home and fake news. Wolf, obviously, all of those things are false. We're staying right here. We're going to do our job and report on this rally. Wow, you're so brave, Jim Acosta. Wow. Like you're in a military zone. Oh, you're a brave one, that Jim Acosta, isn't he, ladies and gentlemen? You know, Wolf, we're going to do our job. We're going to stay right here. My God, we're going to put up. Oh, yes, we are, Wolf. Yes, we are. What a schmuck. He's not a reporter. He's an idiot. Jim Acosta. And uh, Sarah Sanders was asked about this today, of course, because the purpose of these press briefings, according to the press, is the press, not the American people, not informing the American people. We already know what they would ask. Hey, what do you think of the Manafort trial? Hey, didn't you obstruct justice with your tweet? Hey, what about this? And you shouldn't you go to jail? Shouldn't you go directly to jail? Can't a president be indicted? Hey, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us. That's your press. Cut 12, go. First of all, does the president encourage the support of people who showed up last night in these QAnon and Blacks for Trump fringe groups? Uh, and secondly, is the White House willing to say right now, in view of what happened with one Let's of our... Let's stop here. Was Obama ever asked about encouraging violence? Ever? In Baltimore? Or that town outside of St. Louis? Ever? When the police were shot, was anyone in his administration ever asked if their comments were insufficiently strong in response to these attacks on our cops? No. But this this reporter, he's he's really hyped up. He he's he's got a real frenzy and he's a real reporter here. And he's not gonna be he's not gonna be pushed around, he's not gonna be bullied. He's gonna ask. He he wants to get to the bottom of it. Go ahead. 
place last night, that it is wrong for his most vocal supporters to be menacing toward journalists doing their jobs in a situation like that or in any situation? Uh, on the first part, uh, the president condemns and denounces any group that would uh, incite violence against another individual um, and certainly doesn't support uh, groups that would promote that type of behavior. We've, we've been clear about that a number of times uh, since the beginning. How come, Mr. Report, he didn't ask Ms. Sanders about the attacks on Trump supporters all around the country? How come he didn't ask that, pal? We know why, because you're a clown. Go ahead. Administration. On the second part of your question, um, the president, as I just said, does not support uh, violence against anyone and or anything. And we've been very clear um, every single time we've been asked about that. And why are you asking such a stupid question, pal? Go ahead. Comes to the media, the president does think that the media holds a responsibility. Uh, we so fully support a free press, but there also comes a high level of responsibility with that. The media routinely reports on classified information and government secrets that put lives in danger and risk value. Now, we know that's true because Obama sicked the FBI on them. Remember that, Mr. Reporter? Maybe you don't remember that. I remember that. The FBI. And you know who was running the FBI at the time, Mr. Producer? Mr. Mueller, as I recall. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Security tools. This has happened both in our administration and in past administrations. One of the worst cases was the reporting on the U.S. ability to listen to Osama bin Laden's satellite phone in the late 90s. Because of that reporting, he stopped using that phone and the country lost valuable intelligence. Unfortunately, it's now standard to abandon common sense ethical practices. This is a two-way street. We certainly support... You know, with all due respect, uh, Sarah, you know you're talking to a zombie, right? This is not penetrating his brain, such as it is. It's just not. It's not. It's not. He, he's ready. He's ready to jump on the next question. None, none of this is going to get through to him. Go ahead. Yes, we certainly condemn violence against anybody, but we also ask that people act responsibly uh, and report um, accurately and fairly. Sir, 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 was being violent should... last night. They were trying to prevent a broadcaster from getting his broadcast out and yelling that his network sucks. And did they? Did they prevent it? Did anybody tackle the guy? Did anybody harm the guy? Did anybody steal his equipment? No, they shouted at him. Now, that may be uncomfortable. We might not like it, but they may not like it, but that's what they did. He got his broadcast out and he got his message out. Go ahead. Right or wrong? Uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. What was the first part of your question? I, I said no one was being violent last night in terms of, of hitting anybody, and no broadcaster was broadcasting state secrets. They were trying to do stand-ups at a public rally, and you had people... Stand-ups, what do you mean, like in comedy? Go ahead. Yell over them, preventing them from doing their jobs, and yelling that their network sucks on live TV. Look, Does the support that or not? While we certainly support freedom of the press, we also support freedom of speech, uh, and we think that those things go hand in hand. What do you think of that, pal? You know, there is the First Amendment. There's other parts of the First Amendment, freedom of spree, speech, freedom of religion, the uh, don't establish a religion. I mean, freedom to assemble. There they are assembling, exercising their freedom of speech. I remember when the media used to defend the Nazis who would march down uh, a street in a Jewish community called Skokie in Skokie, Illinois. I got to have freedom of speech. You know, I got to flag burns, freedom of speech. These clowns take a knee, freedom of speech. Freedom of speech all over the place. Freedom of speech. Now, when it comes to manger scenes, no, get them out of there. 
when it comes to people shouting at the media, no, 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 what are you against, freedom of press? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I want to tell Jim Acosta and CNN something. You people really are a joke. For the last several years now, it's been the Trump supporters who've been beaten up by Antifa. The events in San Jose two years ago, where a mob took off and uh, pummeled individuals. Women who couldn't defend themselves, young men who couldn't defend themselves, a mob. And you did almost nothing about it. Goes on everywhere. Went on in Hollywood. When uh, some Trump supporters were, were standing and defending the star that some thug broke with a, I guess with a hammer, they came under attack. The left is extremely violent. It's always been violent. You can look at the anti-war protests. You can look all over the world. But the media in this country, propagandists, demagogues. Jim Acosta doesn't know violence. And I, for one, don't want to see violence. But you see it all the time from the left. CNN hasn't done any serious reporting on this. The rise of the violent left. I remember when they used to accuse us in the Tea Party of being violent. We were never violent. We never did anything violent. We didn't even leave any trash. But that's how they sought to attack us. That's how Obama sought to attack us. Yet we see violence all the time from the left in the cities that the left run. It's just appalling. free press my ass I wish we had a free press I really do I wish we had a free press rather than these ideological mental midgets who are all about drama and promoting themselves let's just be honest sunspots brown spots discoloration and even red inflamed patches all gone with the brand new Genesel sunspot corrector Here's Ella Brown from Rockville, Illinois. I have both age and acne spots, and this stuff is actually fading both of them. This serum is worth every penny. And ladies and gentlemen, the Genesel Sunspot Corrector is here, and it's yours free just for trying Genesel today. A must-have for your summer. Finally see those stubborn sunspots vanish, and those bags and puffiness gone. And for results in less than 12 hours, the Genesel Immediate Effects is also yours for free. Light, clean, and effective natural skin care that gives you amazing results and healthier, softer skin day after day. No one does it better than Chamonix. So go to Genesel.com right now or give them a call, 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. I wouldn't wait any longer. You be the judge. You can judge yourself. You'll see the magic of Chamonix or get 100% of your money back. Now that is a guarantee. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or go to Genesel.com. Let us go to James, Pasco, Washington, the great KFLD. Go. 
Yeah, well, I think it's taking my call. I don't even want to waste your time. I, I do want to mention that CNN indeed does suck. Um, and they just don't really hold people's feet to the fire. I mean, this you know this Hillary Clinton thing. I mean, she broke the law. Okay, let, let's do it this way. I read an article earlier about all the Obama Democrats who now work at CNN. Let me ask you this. Can you think of a single host, a single host on CNN who's even you would consider right of center? None. None. I, even see, I mean, and, 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 and the people who – and I don't like – I'm like you. I don't, I don't really care for that. I'm, conser- I'm not conservative. I'm constitutional. Right. I don't need the government telling me everything what twice on Sunday. All right, buddy. The phone the phone connection's terrible, but we got your point. I appreciate you calling, James. Let us continue. Bob, Augusta, Georgia, on the Mark Levin app. Go right ahead, sir. Mark, thanks for taking my call. You bet. I uh, wanted to talk about these kneeling college dropouts in the NFL. Well, they're and, not college dropouts. They're college well, graduates. No, they're not. Many of them are dropouts. That being said, they have reached their fame through the performance on the field. They've been granted an elite status through their physical ability. And now they're taking a knee and making a political statement throughout. Most of these guys don't know the first word of the Constitution. They've not been educated in any political sphere as we know it. The same goes for actors. But the political left uses them as an example because they're entertainers. Let me tell you how foolish all these people are, regardless of race, whether it's sports or Hollywood, how ignorant they are. They are prime examples of success in this society. It's not because they're particularly bright, although some of them are. It's not because they're particularly good-looking, although some of them are. They have taken what they have, They've taken advantage of it in a free society and have become enormously successful. They are examples of the greatness of America. That's positively right. It goes beyond that. It's, they've been put in a position of leadership because of either athletic ability or performance on the screen. When you are put in a position of leadership, people look at you. Whether you know it, whether you believe it or not, people take note. All right, my friend, I appreciate it. I know you, you didn't get the finish. I apologize for that, but we have to go. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, the Border Patrol, and ICE, and all law enforcement. And I want to say we will see you tomorrow. God bless you.